Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He actually gave me a cue. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Do I have uh, to beg for that? Uh, well, you, you got to be disciplined. So, you know, I give you the cue. <sighs> and and the, thing, the thing that's best about it is Here we go. you are smiling. You are so happy <laughs> because it's a fun fest. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> and there's one reason why we refer to it in that fashion. Yes. That reason. Yeah. Is you. Oh, no. You're the one who labeled this program a fun fest years ago. Yes, you most assuredly did. (laughs) And it has stuck. Uh, Year 25 of this program, Mink. And it stuck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where it stuck. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, By the way, a word to the wise, to the gentleman whose program follows our top of the hour update at 8 o'clock, Rick Wolf. Does the Sports Edge fantastic program, Mister Wolf? Be prepared, Minko is in rare form this morning. John Minko keeping us up to date on happenings in the sporting world. And good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Solter. Hopefully, you're having a good day thus far. Yes, we made that switch into daylight saving time overnight. We're at seven oh six in the morning, so hopefully, your clocks went ahead an hour. We're joined in this hour of our program by a guest who has joined us a number of times previously. We've always had good and lively discussions with Dr. John Huber. He is the chairman of for Mainstream Mental Health, which is a nonprofit organization. And he has an interesting uh, background as a mental health professional for over 20 years. He's a clinical forensic psychologist. Uh, he also is um, someone who is involved in um, doing a radio show. He does a radio show for uh, mainstream mental health as well. And he has a lot of information to share with us. Uh, First of all, Dr. Huber, it's always nice to speak with you. Good morning. Well, good to talk with you again, Bob. I really appreciate that. Now, here we are with this daylight saving time change. What does this do for children with mental health disorders? Well, if you have a, a mental health disorder, especially one that's maybe looking, young children oftentimes aren't diagnosed with things like bipolar disorder and we're that old-fashioned manic depression is what we used to think of that. But what we know is that these kids have a, a predisposition for that, that you can have some serious issues with, with the time change. You know, you have a little bit of sleep deprivation and kids who 
are having issues with this or may future, have future issues with this tend to be very hypomanic. That is uh, a very high energy state that is just below that manic phase that we would see in someone who basically has lost control over uh, what their their cognitive functioning is and their physical functioning. And they tend to be very, very overwhelming for adults. And if you've ever babysit a child who has like a bedtime at say 8.30 or 9 o'clock and you decide to let them stay up an extra hour and a half or two hours, you already know what I'm talking about, that hyper energy that kids get when they're so tired that their body, none of their normal filters that slow them down and make them think rationally are in place. You get ch children with adolescents or, or young teenagers who are potentially or maybe already are suffering from bipolar, you get that shortened time of sleep, then they're thrown into it. And it's not at the end of the day. It's at the beginning of the day. And uh, it may take some time, maybe a couple of weeks for them to get acclimated and back into control in that situation. What about kids with autism? Kids with autism. Now, that that's an interesting thing because I've worked with several autistic children. And when you have young children, young people with autism, autism, a lot of times they have uh, an issue with change. They don't like change at all. And in their mind, the sun comes up at a certain time. And now you would go and artificially adjust the time frame. And it can be very devastating to them, their ability to function, their ability to, to go through the day. And they may totally be preoccupied with that, that change and, and not be able to let it go. And function as best as they can. It can be really disturbing to a family that has a, an autistic individual in, the, in their home, and uh, it, it's very hard sometimes to, to deal with that. For patients who have ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, what's the effect then of what have become known as stimulant medications? <laughs> well, the, the stimulant medication can be very problematic for for anybody, period. Then you go and you change their cycle. In other words, you know, yesterday they took it at what today might be 8 o'clock, and today it's 9 o'clock. Uh, they may have some serious issues trying to fall asleep the next day, and that can have serious ramifications, especially if you got to get up go to work on Monday or go to school on Monday. And your ability to attend and focus can be very difficult at best. So what I tend to do with my patients uh, that, that are on stimulant medications that are required to function, I, I work with their parents, and we start adjusting when we actually give them their medication about 10 or 15 minutes every couple of days until they've essentially got that time frame to be the same come Monday morning the next week after after the time change. And for parents who, you know, their kids are, if you have a child who, who's going through some of these things that you're talking about, how does the parent, for lack of a better term, keep their sanity in this? <laughs> well, they're parents, first of all. So the question of sanity is kind of up in the air in the first place. I'm one of those. So... <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know we get as parents we get stuck with sleep deprivation all the time you know when kids are little bitty we can 
7 o'clock at night. Then we have an evening to kind of pull ourselves together, get the laundry going, do the dishes. Well, as they get older, that tends to go away, and the kids stay up later and later and later, and uh, we, we continue to struggle then. Now you add a mental health issue with these kids, and it can be just overwhelming for parents. So one of the things that I recommend, especially that we're moving towards a time change, even if it's in the fall when we fall back and actually gain an extra hour of sleep, I go back and and start having them prepare a couple of weeks in advance with my patients and have them start, you know, adjusting their sleep schedule. I also recommend that at that point we kind of cut back if they do like to drink, cut back on how much they drink, maybe even quit drinking going into that weekend because there's going to be uh, some stressors there. And I don't need anything that's going to filter their perception of reality in in any potential bad way at that point because it's going to take some patience with those kids. Now, in a slightly different direction still on this uh, topic of mental health. There's some interesting news that came forth from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration this week with a ketamine-like drug and depression. Can you share that with us? Well, what's happened is uh, ketamine has been used off-label by the Veterans Administration for quite some time to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. And what they found out is that part of what was happening is these these veterans were actually having uh, their depression managed. So some research was done and they started, they made a nasal spray commercially with ketamine. And what they found out was that uh, that is a very good supplement. If you have antidepressants that aren't quite doing the job, uh, they found out that if you get the, the nasal spray of the ketamine twice a week, uh, you basically have most of, if not all, your symptoms alleviated. Now, in, in my practice, we actually work with a ketamine clinic, and we work on things like post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety. We actually have dealt with several patients with personality disorders, uh, even antisocial personalities or and significant changes. In fact, this week I'm going uh, on Tuesday, I'll be in, in another town testifying in court with a patient who was uh, originally charged with some really bizarre felony charges. And when I was originally introduced to him, I tested him and he came out and looked very much like a psychopath. And now that has completely changed. And we have almost 12 months of of what appears to be very solid, uh, permanent change to no longer being antisocial personality and now being very normal and having average affect and inter- interacting with human beings and things like that. So we get a lot of really great uh, benefits from ketamine in my practice using ketamine in assisted psychotherapy. And uh, it's very intensive. We do a 30-day treatment, and then we go back to once a month, and then we stretch that out after 12 months to about once to twice every year. And it's amazing the results we've had on that, and it's been permanent. What exactly is ketamine? Okay, ketamine, it, what the government decided in the late 60s, early 70s to try and make a synthetic opiate. And they ended up with this amazing drug that, that had some really good benefits, much like opiates, 
but they also had some bad side effects with this drug. And we know that drug is PCP and it's very popular on the street. Well, the uh, government didn't want to waste all this money, so they tried to break up that molecule of PCP and come up with a molecule that had the best side effects or the best results from PCP to use medically, and we came up with ketamine. Ketamine is a, an amazing medication used in emergency room medicine. It's used in surgeries for, for kids because it's got a half-life of between 10 and 15 minutes. So the average person, when you give them a dose, uh, for example, for anesthesia, that anesthesia lasts anywhere from 20 minutes to about 35 minutes. And there's lots of benefits for that. One of them is if you're in a car accident, maybe you've been drinking or exposed to other chemicals and drugs, that short time frame allows emergency room personnel to maybe do emergency surgery with a little window of opportunity to do that, but they know when that window's over, there's not going to be any drug interactions after that time frame. So they mm -hmm. can go in there and maybe have to deal with emergency, you know, CPR and stuff like that during part of that treatment time during the surgery. But in a very short time afterwards, that medication is going to wear off and you should stabilize. Dr. John Huber is our guest this hour of our program. He's the chairman for Mainstream Mental Health on the web. By the way, Mainstream Mental Health, that's all this one word, dot O-R-G. We'll talk more with him about uh, Mainstream Mental Health and more about uh, some of the topics that we have discussed. We've got other, other areas to go in this discussion, too. Long after our 8 o'clock update, it's the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf. Radio.com. It's Sunday morning on the fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. <laughs> Look at John Miko. My goodness. Could you move any slower, Mink? <laughs> oh, boy. By the time it's time for his next sports update, he'll still be just leaving the studio, literally. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. And, uh, yes, it is uh, 723, daylight saving time. Yes, those clocks went ahead an hour overnight. We are in a discussion with Dr. John Huber on our program. He, by profession, is a clinical forensic psychologist. Uh, he's the chairman for Mainstream Mental Health, which is a nonprofit organization we've mentioned about before in discussion here. What is Mainstream Mental Health? Mainstream Mental Health is an organization put together to try and destigmatize mental health issues. In fact, uh, that's where the name comes from. We want mental health issues to be mainstream and for people to realize that, that you're not broken, you're human. I mean, everybody is affected by them, whether they actually suffer from them or not. How many people at work, you know, have, have to pick up after somebody else uh, in different situations, and they don't always get given a reason why, but their bosses say, no, you need to do this. Uh, and we adjust our Thanksgiving and Christmas because we have Uncle Uncle Bill who's got an alcohol problem, so we have to have it later in the day so he can get there. We just we have this issue called we're human beings, and uh, we're affected individually, differently, by, by so many different stimuli, and we happen to label some of them mental health disorders so that we can provide support and treatment, uh, but it's really a human thing, not a, not a sickness or broken thing. Now, earlier in our discussion, we were talking about um, ketamine, and yes. you know, 
I mentioned that there was this approval from the Food and Drug Administration for this ketamine-like drug to um, be used in um, easing depression. Yes. In terms of, from a layperson's perspective, the way in which, I guess, ketamine impacts the brain, how can you describe that? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting when when we talk about it because we found there's there's several different mechanisms that are going on. Uh, one of them, for example, makes it really good for things like post-traumatic stress disorder. Another thing that's going on is depression. And if we think about our standard antidepressants like, like Zoloft or Prozac, it's what we call a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And what happens is your serotonin, the, nor- or the, the, the neurotransmitter, is almost immediately within taking the medication is increased in your brain. And then that has what we call a cascading effect. The increased serotonin causes another neurotransmitter to increase, and then that one causes a third one to increase, and then that one causes a fourth and maybe a fifth one to increase. And it goes on down till it gets to the neurotransmitter that you actually need to adjust your depression. And what we found out, and there's actually some really interesting research out of Johns Hopkins that shows that that ketamine jumps about halfway down that waterfall. So instead of having uh, uh, you know several weeks before the antidepressant properties of the antidepressant kick in with ketamine, it can literally begin right after that dosing. In fact, uh, there's research out there that says that uh, one treatment of ketamine, uh, 93 to 96% of the time, if you're suicidal and you take that one treatment, you are no longer suicidal within hours of that treatment, which is probably going to be the next phase when we go to it. If we look at it, because if somebody's suicidal, we put them in the emergency room and they end up going to a mental health facility for two to three weeks to get stabilized. If we have a 93 to 96% stabilization after one treatment, they can go into the emergency room, get the treatment, sit there for a couple of hours, and go home. And we know that, you know, a significant, almost 100% of the people are going to no longer be suicidal. They can go back to work the next day. They don't miss any work. They have very little downtime. Uh, and uh, it, it's it's amazing how that jumps all those neurotransmitters and automatically just starts working in that situation. So. And when we're talking about um, ketamine and, you know, it's, I guess, popularity, use, et cetera, on the streets, where are we with that today? Well, ketamine, uh, unfortunately, has a bad reputation. Uh, but if you talk to doctors who do pain management, uh, like sports injuries, and that's that's one of the ways I found out about ketamine because of an injury I had 40 years ago. Uh, but uh, it, also emergency room medicine, they know how safe it is. When it first came out, because of that short half-life that we talked about on the last break, they found out that it's a really good anesthesia for large animals like cows, uh, horses, elephants, rhinos. They could use them in zoos. And you get those large animals and you give them a regular general anesthesia to perform some kind of surgery. And it takes so long for that medication to to wear off 
what happens is the weight of that large animal actually eventually suffocates them and they can't breathe under their own weight because they're laying on the rib cage. And with ketamine, it's such a short half-life, they're able to get up before they suffocate. So even if you don't have a winch and, and, and a lift and all that kind of stuff to work on the animals, you can do that. So what happened was in the 70s, this medication was highly used regularly in veterinary medicine. They didn't have the same security that pharmacies for humans tend to have. They could break into a, a veterinarian's truck and steal all their medications, and included in that was ketamine. And it became widely known as a street drug because it can induce hallucinations and it can have some effects like that uh, that most of us you know, try to understand why would somebody go use LSD and things like that. And ketamine... It can be utilized as a recreational party drug, plus it has such a short half-life. LSD, for example, has a four-hour half-life. So you can take LSD and still be tripping seven, eight hours later, whereas you can do that with ketamine, and in about an hour, you're done with everything. So it, it, it has some advantages that way for that kind of situation. Now, in my practice, I've had patients who had a history of recreational drug use, and they had used ketamine in a party environment. And uh, their, their discussion with me afterwards was that the, you know, the medical and clinical administration of it is so significantly different than the recreational use that there's literally no comparison to the two. Uh, the experience wasn't similar in any way. That, that's, that's kind of Good for me as a as a practitioner having that feedback, but also because I suffer from chronic pain, uh, one administration of my chronic pain and it stopped that chronic pain that I got from you know a sports injury that happened to me when I was 18 years old, and uh, I you know I'm 50 years old now and I don't have my chronic pain. I'm able to participate fully. I'm almost a third degree black belt now, and it's all because of of one administration of of ketamine. Dr. John Huber is talking with us this hour of our program on The Fan. He is the chairman uh, for Mainstream Mental Health, and he's talking with us. You want to join us in our discussion, 877-337-6666 is our phone number. You can listen to WFAN anytime, anywhere, download the radio.com app, and favorite us today. If you have Alexa or Google Home, just say, play WFAN, and you'll be locked in to The Fan. And, you know, one of the thoughts that we had heading into our discussion today too was, you know, this is WFAN. So there's a lot of, um, excitement, uh, thought talk surrounding March madness. Okay. You get Absolutely. This, this time of the year and, um, the excitement level goes through the roof. What does that mean though, from the standpoint of the kind of, pressures surrounding March Madness, both for, from the standpoint of players and also of fans? <laughs> well, I, I particularly enjoy March Madness myself. Um, some of my, my, you know, the best games I've ever been, I, I've been lucky enough to actually go to, you know, some Final Four tournaments and, and just really got to see amazing players, you know, just all out, hundred percent, you know, and we got to watch them now. We get to watch some of them actually still in, in pro sports, pro basketball. But, 
what it means to these athletes, a lot of them, this is their last shot at trying to impress potential scouts and, and pro teams. It, it, it's also a very unique environment for them because even going back to, to you know, elementary school and middle school basketball tournaments and things like they had a kind of a home team, a home environment for at least half their games and going through high school and then in college, you know, in college, they've got, you know, a repeat. Most of them play every team at least twice, once at home, once at away, and they get to know a, a system of preparation. They get time to go and look at teams more than one time during the year. Final Four, March Madness, man, they get thrown in there. Nobody's in a home home field exa- environment except for maybe one team. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're playing teams that they never thought they'd ever play before. And everybody's on their game. This is it. This is their peak. They've been fighting for this moment. And uh, it, it is just sheer will, determination, and skill right there on the field. That's why I love this time of year. Forget everything else. You get to see some players just turn it up. And how do they do that? How do they deal with that stress? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's part of what I find fascinating with, with that situation. Okay, now let's talk about the fans and these brackets. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to use a term that probably um, may not be real popular with some people. Their obsession with the brackets. What kind of advice can you give? Well, I, I really worry about individuals who have addictive personalities who uh, uh, have that added obsession with the brackets and what that means to final four. And it's a, it can be a scary thing for it takes over their world. And that obsession, I think, you know, maybe they don't like that word, but I think you have nailed it right on the head. It becomes all they think about 24 seven and, uh, it's so much so I I don't have anything to do with the brackets. I don't look at those anymore. I mean, I used to, um, man, back when I was in college, I would look at those brackets and and let's, let's work on this and let's, let's see who is best. And I, I had to step away because I saw too many of my friends getting so wrapped up and losing relationships, (laughs) losing jobs over this kind of stuff. And my patients today suffer with that same issue. Uh, it can be, a true obsession, a true addiction where they're just feeding off of that. And when they win a bracket and they keep moving forward, uh, it is feeding them full of dopamine, full of uh, norepinephrine, all these neurotransmitters that make them feel good. And it feeds that reinforcement. And when they finally lose, it can be a major depression, just a total letdown. So how do you keep it in balance? How do you keep it in balance? Well, uh, that, that is a difficult thing. And it, try to step away from that super organized, um, you know, bracket that, that some areas have, some businesses have. Uh, I got friends who work for big corporations and internally in the corporation, even though, you know, they're not supposed to, they kind of have this email network going on and it's very structured and there's rules and, you know, you want to try and stay away from that. If you want to try and make a bracket just to see what your skills are in picking teams and players, you know, 
spend some time doing it, fold it up, put it away, come back and check it a few days later or halfway through the, the March Madness. Don't sit there and watch. Try to watch every single game. Uh, you, you'll lose control of your life. I mean, you just will. You know, you you do need to go outside at points. You need to connect <laughs> connect with actual people at at points too. Andy, Andy, yes, yeah. yes, literally, and sleep. That's the other aspect of it too. Oh, sleep. Who needs that? Yeah, come on. <laughs> We're talking with Dr. John Huber on our program. He is chairman for Mainstream Mental Health. You want to join us in our discussion? We've got some folks on the phone who already are uh, looking to pose some questions. 877 337 6666 is our number. Rick Wolf and the Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update after our 9 o'clock update. Ed Randall will be by. He'll be talking baseball here on the fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. No matter where you join us, WFAN, WFAN-FM, or Mr. Minko's favorite, Radio.com. Well, welcome aboard. I'm Bob Salter. We are in a discussion with Dr. John Huber on our program. And uh, I said what we do is try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. Sports Edge with Rick Wolf follows our 8 o'clock update. Ed Randall's Talking Baseballs along after our 9 o'clock update on The Fan. 877-337-6666 is our number. Let's go to Charles, who's calling us. Uh, Charles, are you in, in Middletown? Yes. Good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. Hi, Thank, good morning. Thanks for holding on so long. What's your question? Uh, my question is, uh, I, I'm, I'm listening to the conversation on how we're using, uh, or how they're trying to go ahead and use uh, the ketamine for mental health. Uh, maybe in sports, you know, now that it's being legalized. And uh, we still look at people like Josh Gordon and uh, using uh, marijuana and uh, vilifying him and going ahead and saying how he has mental disorders and how he just can't keep his job or people like Le'Veon Bell. And when they're going ahead and trying to uh, use it maybe in a medicinal purpose. Is, okay, well, you know, what you find out is that, that not every recreational drug actually has real benefits for different things. Now, we know with marijuana, I have uh, gone over lots of research with the, the cannabinoids and seizure disorders and the amazing things it's done for young people who otherwise are looking at potential brain damage because their seizures are so extreme, uh, and even ketamine. Using it therapeutically versus using it recreationally are two different things all the way around. And unfortunately, just because, you know, it, it, it may have some benefits, think of coding. I mean, people abuse that. And uh, if you don't use it correctly, if you don't use it as, uh, you know, the research indicates it could, you can just create more problems for yourself above and beyond. Uh, the, the potential reason why you may be using it in the first place. So what are the uh, what are the rates on like uh, is it easily addictive? It it is psychologically addictive. In other words, much like something like uh, LSD or or other hallucinogens, um, where you just crave that escape. Uh, it's not physiologically addicting. You're not gonna you know like an opiate where if you withdraw from it, you're gonna go through physiological uh, symptoms like DTs, delirium tremens, seizures, vomiting, nausea. You don't have any of that with ketamine. 
And that's one of the benefits of it. But the other part of it is ketamine is is a very expensive treatment modality, especially the way we utilize it. When we use it in the clinic, we've got not just a physician, we've got actually uh, a nurse and an EMS person in front of the patient there the whole time. And we're monitoring all physiological aspects of their body, everything from blood pressure, uh, brainwave patterns and stuff like that, because uh, we want to make sure that our patients are safe. And although in four years we haven't had any kind of medical complications or anything else, we have learned that it's not for everybody. If you have a history, for example, of uh, a, a mania or psychosis, it is not a good medication for you. It's, it's going to create more problems. So one of the things we also do is we do a full psychological evaluation before we allow them to begin treatment with us. Charles? Okay, and what about overdose? Overdose, uh, you know, that's one of the things we monitor. If you look at what, what we're given, you know, patients get anywhere from, you know, on the nasal spray, it's about 50, 56 milligrams. They do one spray in each nose at 28 apiece, and that comes out to 56. Um, in the IV infusions that we use, we start at 60. That's the, the baseline that they have. Literally thousands of veterans over the last 17 years have been using this, and we haven't had any overdose issues. Uh, if you look at the street drug, um, that 60 milligram IV infusion can go on the street. People are taking 12, 1400 milligrams, I mean 1600 milligrams, and they're having some very bizarre hallucinations and ideations and stuff like that. But even then, we don't find them having heart attacks and dying. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's very minimal. It's a really safe uh, drug when administered appropriately and monitored appropriately. Charles, thank you for your call this morning. We got to move on to other callers too. Thanks for your patience on the phone. Uh, let's see. Next up, we go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Thanks for holding on so long. Hey, thanks, Doctor John and uh, Mr. Salter. Uh, my my question also has to do with the ketamine uh, discussion a few minutes ago. Um, doctor, you, you said about uh, ketamine being used in the case of a person uh, uh, with suicidal mindset, um, and you said, and they could go back to work following after that. Wouldn't we also, uh, wouldn't we have to actually find out what the why and how the initial suicidal mindset came on? Because they could be at work or they could be driving, and all of a sudden. Uh, the the original cause of the suicidal uh, thoughts may come back after after the medication is off. So could you add a little bit to your description to that? Well, you know, you've always got that issue associated. Even if you go through a, a you know a two week or three week stabilization period hospitalization, uh, if somebody chooses to commit suicide, there's really nothing we can do therapeutically that's going to keep them from doing it. In fact, they'll sign all these contracts saying, yes, I'll call 911 right. if I become suicidal. And, and you know, it, it is somebody who's gotten to the point where things are so desperate that that's the only rational in their mind thing to do. Of course, we know it's not rational, and that's part of it. One of the things that ketamine does is change that mindset and changes your neurochemistry when it comes to that kind of thing. So, oh, okay. so, so it's not going to be a sudden shift. It may be a gradual shift back to that. But the whole idea is we want to make sure you're safe. And, uh, you know, 
if we, for example, can give you that medication and within 24 to 48 hours you can go back to work, that's more of a normal lifestyle than if we have you detained and actually commit you because of your safety for a period of two to three weeks. And then you have to explain all that to your, the, the people you work with, your boss, your family, all this kind of stuff. And we're setting you up for more emotional trauma than if we can just do it very quickly. So there's no 100% in mental health, unfortunately. I wish there was. Uh, you know, everybody's different. Everybody reacts differently to these things. But uh, when you have, you know, antidepressants that take weeks, sometimes months to kick in, and we have a, a drug that the research is saying with thousands of patients going through this, that one administration and within two to four hours, they're no longer suicidal. I think that's very significant and needs to be addressed and looked at. Oh, it's very significant. But I, I'm studying uh, to be an issue in the uh, mental health industry uh, for uh, substance abuse. And uh, in these generations, the kids that are coming in, they're looking for that quick fix. And right. we tell them they, they're looking for a 16-week program to uh, fix the problem. Uh, but they're they're not understanding there's a lot of delving into why and, and, and that meant the uh, thoughts and the behaviors and all of that that tend to go awry. And if a person really, if we have a duty to warn and after a person starts talking about taking their own life, uh, there's a reason why they did that. And that's why when your description and the use of, of medications like this are great, uh, but need to be you need under the therapy. The care. Yeah, you need, right. you need the therapy underneath it all. And when it yeah. comes to addictions and like that, we're, we're having, I mean, if you look at the, the research on success rates from everything from AA to Betty Ford, Manager, all these different clinics, you know, Dr. Drew Lipinski actually, you know, Dr. Drew from the Dr. Drew Show comes out and he's considered one of the top experts in addictive research and treatment. And he says, at best, we're about 8% effective. That means 92% of our patients who go through these 45, 90-day, 120-day drug rehab programs, 92% come back with the problem. Yet, I can tell you over the last you know, four years, the patients we've been treating for drug and alcohol, including heroin, we're having an 80% success rate that after 12 months, they have not relapsed. And well, that's I significant. I applaud it. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call this morning, Joe. And patients on the phone, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. After our 9 o'clock update, Ed Randall is along talking baseball on The Fan. Rick Wolf is in with the Sports Edge program after our 8 o'clock update. Back to the phone we go to Harry in Brooklyn. Harry, thanks for holding on. Welcome to The Fan. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've had, I'm going to go through this quickly because it, 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 I don't want it to be too lengthy. Uh, I have bad knees. I'm 69 years old. I had one operation on one knee to remove torn cartilage. I tore my ligament, and that's gone. This was in the 70s. So I know they've they've gotten much better uh, as far as their knowledge of of, uh, the knees. On my other knee, I have osteoarthritis. I saw the x-rays. It's wearing down to almost nothing. So I'm thinking, well, at 69 years old, should I go in and have a knee replacement? And should I have them fix the other knee? Or should I just let it go? You know, uh, I can I can alleviate the pain through supplements and fish oils. So that helps the inflammation. But there's still, you know, of course, you know, if I go out and I do a little walking, which I try not to do too much, 
at the end of the day, I'm in a lot of pain for a couple of days. So I have to get to my supplements. But the thing is, I've gained a lot of weight. So I'm like 100 pounds overweight. So between being 100 pounds overweight, 69 years old, and all kinds of problems with my knees, I'm wondering if I should go to the uh, uh, hospital for special surgery and uh, have them do something for me. What do you suggest? Well, you know, you, you, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a, I'm a psycho, psychologist, okay? So I'm probably not the person to give you the best advice, but I, I suffer with a lot of the same things you have. I, I've gone through the Synvis shots in my knees, um, you know, and I, I practice martial arts, and I have osteoarthritis, and if I don't sit in my hot tub, you know, 20 minutes before I go to bed at night, I wake up three times during the night with the osteopain. Uh, so so I, I, I suffer with those same things. And I can tell you, you know, the last six months, I've actually dropped 52 pounds, and it has helped so much. But one of the things that, that helps more than anything else, and my kids will vouch for it, my wife will vouch for it, is if I don't work out at least every other day, by that third day or fourth day, I can't get out of bed in the morning. I am in so much osteopain from the osteoarthritis and the knee pain and uh, grumpy in my hips, everything. So it, it, it's a combination. I have several friends who've gone. Uh, one of them goes, went to Kuala Lumpur and got the stem cell replacement in his knees, and he is like the happiest person I've ever seen. I mean, I've known him for a long time, but he's just like that. That was the best thing for his knee problems. And then he was able to go and exercise and work out and lose weight, and, and it's been great for him. Uh, for, for someone like me, I, you know, that's not an option for me because I, I – you know, I, I don't go to Kuala Lumpur. No, uh, <laughs> um, I've looked at the stem cell, and we can do that some here in the states. Uh, but they have some some qualifiers to that. Uh, there, you can do osteo in Europe. It's still very expensive. Uh, but then, if you look at the cost of knee replacement, I have several friends. Actually, I, a friend of mine who's a seventh degree black belt, and he has both his knees replaced. And I'm totally amazed at what this man does. And he's, he's 72, 73 years old, and it's amazing. But again, it's that significant cost. It's what your body can tolerate, what your respiratory system can handle if, if you're doing any kind of surgery. And all of that needs to be qualified and met with and discussed with, with doctors, surgeons, potential people to do these procedures. And not just one. You need multiple, multiple uh, discussions with multiple different practitioners to finally be able to make the best educated decision on what's right for you. My hospitalization covers the operations, but it won't cover stem cell, at least not yet. Right, right. Not yet. So I'm wondering, okay, if I can't get the stem cell, because that's very expensive, I yes, doubt if I can afford that. But, it, but the, the uh, operations uh, for the hospitalization, that'll cover it all. My, my hospitalization will cover it all. The thing is, I'm wondering uh, uh, whether or not it'll. It sh I should even go through it. Whether I should, you know, I can tolerate the pain. Like I said, I can take supplements, and, and that helps. I did gain a lot yeah. of weight. All right, Harry, losing, Harry yes. I, I think Dr. Huber answered as best he possibly can, and we certainly wish you the best. Thank you very much for your call this morning. Unfortunately, we can't really provide you with any more information uh, on that topic. Dr. John Huber, thank you very much for joining us. Chairman for Mainstream Mental Health, mainstreammentalhealth.org. 
Certainly the best continued with your work. Thank you, Bob. After our top of the hour update, it is Rick Wolf with the Sports Edge program. And after our nine o'clock update, um, yep. As they say, the tides change. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether we'd say it's low tide or high tide. I'm not going there. But Ed Randall will wash in with talking baseball here on the fan. That was clever. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.